0: 2 Timothy 1, 8-14. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God, who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began and which now has been manifested through the appearing of our Savior Christ Jesus, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel, for which I was appointed a preacher, an apostle, and teacher, which is why I suffered as I do. But I am not ashamed, for I know who I am, whom... For I know whom I have believed, and I am convinced that he is able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. Follow the pattern of the sound words that you have heard from me in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. By the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, guard the good deposit entrusted to you. This is the word of the Lord.
1: All right, today we're going to be talking about the elephant that's in the room. You ever had those experiences maybe around the holidays? Do you ever have uh, that experience where everyone knows there's an elephant in the room but no one's talking about it? You know, maybe it's Aunt Judy who doesn't talk to Uncle Bob. And like everybody knows that. And I mean, they could talk. I mean, It's been nine years. They could talk at any time. But everyone knows that Aunt Judy and Uncle Bob don't approach the dessert table at the same time, right? I mean, you guys, you've got family like mine, right? I mean, you just, there's the elephant in the room, and it's awkward, and everyone knows it's there, but no one talks about it, right? Today, we're going to talk about the elephant that's in the room, and actually, Jesus did this quite often. Uh, he would do it all the time, in fact, um, He did it by asking questions oftentimes. He would say things like, so who do people say that I am? Or he might ask, what's easier, to forgive sins or to heal? You remember that time when the Pharisees were there and they were were looking at Jesus who was about to heal a man who was paralyzed and he said, your sins are forgiven and he knew what was going on in their heads and in their hearts they were thinking, you don't have the power to forgive sin. And so he asked the question. He knew the elephant that was in the room and he said, what's easier to heal him or to forgive his sins? But so that you'll know that I have the power to forgive his sins, stand up and walk. And the man walked. Jesus did this all the time. He would call out the elephant that was in the room. Why do you think that Jesus would do that? Why do you think that he would ask such awkward questions. And I don't mean that rhetorically today. Whenever you see the whiteboard out, it means, guess what? It's time for dialogue. And so I want to hear from you. We're going to learn from each other today. Why do you think Jesus would ask such awkward questions?
0: I think it was like holding a mirror. Up to your face. Like, you say you know this, but
1: let's like- Yeah, he was letting them see what's really in their hearts, wasn't he? And I think Jesus knew something that's still true today. Apart from challenge, we don't change. We don't change apart from constant challenge. And so Jesus was really good about challenging people. Now, we're studying Paul today, and Paul was one of Jesus' greatest disciples. And so Paul challenged people much the same way that Jesus did, but make no mistake about it. A lot of times we say, "Oh, Jesus was so loving, but then Paul was so harsh." What Jesus are you reading? And what Jesus was Paul following? Let me remind you of a couple of phrases that Jesus said in Luke 9:41. I read this one just this week. He said to his disciples, "O faithless and twisted generation, how long am I to be with you?" and bear with you. Bring your son here. That's harsh, right? Those are words of challenge. Listen, this is you know this one, Matthew 16, 23. But he turned and said to one of his best friends, Peter, get behind me, Satan. You're a hindrance to me, for you're not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. Do you see how Jesus would offer these huge challenging statements He knew that we need to be challenged in order to get out of the consistent rut that we get ourselves into. And so today I want us to look at this passage in which Paul is offering an exhortation to Timothy to both be courageous and to guard the gospel. But we see this great challenge That's in it, not only for Timothy, but also for us. And so this week, a lot of dialogue. If any of you want to fill in the blanks, I know that makes some of you feel good. And so I actually put blanks in your listening guide this week. So you're going to you're going to walk out of here feeling like you accomplished. If you don't remember anything I say, you're going to be like, that was a good sermon because I got the blanks filled in. So here they are. (laughs) Paul charges Timothy to remain loyal. He charges Timothy to remain loyal. And two, two points of the outline, and then I want to get this kind of over with on the front end, and then we're just going to dialogue through the verses. There's an exhortation to be courageous, and then there's an exhortation to guard the gospel. He's exhorting Timothy, be courageous, guard the gospel. Now, when we look at this in verse 8, we begin with the word, therefore. If we're good Bible students, and you're studying the Bible, what do you do? When you see the word therefore. Yeah, we look and see what it's there for. Okay, so we look back. Look at verse six. For this reason, I remind, remind you to fan into flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God gave us a spirit not of fear. But of power and love and self control. You'll remember last week from the message, we looked at the background of this passage. Paul is in prison in chains. He's in a dungeon. He's not under house arrest. He is waiting uh, what would be his most likely execution, he believes. We'll see that in chapter four. He says, "I'm, I'm, I'm awaiting death. And he's there in prison under Nero's brutal insanity. Rome has been burned. Um, recently the Christians were blamed for it, three-fourths of the city burned, thousands were uh, killed, Nero in his insanity ordered his soldiers to burn the city, the city turned against him so he blamed it on the Christians, now Christians are being sewn up in uh, animal skins and thrown to wild dogs, they're being uh, put in shirts made of wax and hung in Nero's garden and lit on fire in order to light up his garden at night, it's a terrible time to be a Christian, Listen, it's not just a terrible time to be a Christian. It's a terrible time to know a Christian. Like, you don't want to be connected to Christianity at this day and time. I know very few places like it in the world today. this is a horrible time. And so as a result of that, therefore, Paul is saying, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me as prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. Now, this is a long sentence. Verses 8 through, uh, actually 8 through 12, or 8 through, yes, through 12 are all one sentence. But I want to break it down a little bit. Paul begins by asking the question or by giving the exhortation, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord. And this is a tough question to kick things off with. But let me just ask and and think about it for a moment. If If there's a minute of silence, that's okay. When are people ashamed of the testimony of Jesus today? And I want to hear some of your thoughts. I'm not asking when you're ashamed, okay? But maybe you've got a friend and there was a time when they were ashamed. Where are people ashamed of the testimony of Jesus today? Okay, we're ashamed when we're uh, asked to do something that goes against popular opinion? And, And what are some instances where that might happen? At your job. Yeah, I knew a guy who refused to be unethical in his job for an accounting company, and he was fired as a result of it. He wouldn't cheat for his boss. So he actually was courageous. But the temptation was just do what your boss says. How else? What are other times in which we are ashamed of the testimony of Jesus? Ooh, that's getting personal, Miss Erlene with our families yeah especially if you're the first one or if the majority of your family aren't followers of Jesus I mean you're just like here come the holidays can we just get in and get out as quick as possible Uh, anybody ever feel that way how else what are other ways that you are tempted to be ashamed of the testimony of Jesus Okay, so when the testimony of Jesus, again, could be controversial. Like, I don't know what my friends will think about it. If I don't march, or if I do march, or what it means, how they'll interpret it. Yeah. Okay, so there are some political beliefs that actually kind of step into Maybe not primary always, but definitely secondary religious beliefs, right? I mean, let's just go ahead and throw a couple of them out. Like the historical traditional views of marriage, or the historical traditional views of life. Like all of a sudden, we're like teetering over next to some really scary pathways, and people are going, Where are you going with that? What are you thinking? What does that mean? So, really controversial when it comes to some political views. And we can be tempted to say, oh, I don't really want to share how what I believe the testimony of Jesus weighs in on some of my political views that happen to maybe not agree with popular opinion at all times. What else? Okay, so Ben's saying that he's not ashamed himself of Jesus, but he's ashamed of Jesus' followers when he sees them acting like a bunch of crazies out, you know, protesting something or being hateful or just really displaying Jesus' name in a way that's dishonorable. Happens all the time. Peter, did I hear you earlier? Ben and Peter, love it. All right, there's a lot of times in which we're tempted to be ashamed of our testimonies of Jesus. You got one, Paul? What about pagan festivals of idolatry
0: like tonight for Super Bowl
1: parties? (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so I don't know all you're going with pagan festivals of, of idolatry at Super Bowl parties, Paul, but... Yeah, there's I mean, maybe you got your friends coming over and you're just like, hey, I have an opportunity to talk about Jesus or for my faith to be known. And will you step into that opportunity or will you just back away and say, man, wasn't that commercial really funny? You know, I think that some of the ways that we are tempted to be ashamed of the testimony of Jesus looks very different than what Timothy experienced. And because of that, we're unaware. I think many of the opportunities in which we are most ashamed of the testimony of Jesus come through almost subconscious things that take place in our lives. Let me ask you a couple questions. Do your coworkers know that you're a follower of Jesus? Like they know you're married or you're not. They know if you have kids or if you don't, they might even know the name of your dog. But do they know if you're a follower of Jesus? Let me ask you another question. How many people do you regularly spend time with in your life who you know are outsiders to the church and to the faith? I think sometimes we're ashamed of the testimony of Jesus and it shows up through the fact that we don't even have friends in our lives who don't know Jesus because we're so uncomfortable around them. We realize that we might be shamed by something they say or the disconnect that exists over political issues or other controversial or family issues that we don't even take the needed steps to try to form those friendships. I think on a daily basis, there are opportunities where we can either be ashamed of the gospel or we can step through open doors in order to show and share the gospel of Jesus in our lives. Paul's going to show us how to do that. Paul seemed to think that suffering was inevitable. This is something I think that we all need to grab hold of if we're going to be courageous in the way that we share the gospel of Jesus. Look at what Paul goes on to say. Don't be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord or me as prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. What do you think about that? Is that a new concept for you? That suffering would be Inevitable if we share the gospel, if we share the testimony of Jesus? Do you anticipate suffering for Jesus on a regular basis as you live? Now, let me clarify for just a moment. Suffering doesn't mean that we intentionally bring the suffering on ourselves because we aren't people who are humble or because we are people who are so domineering or demanding. Let me remind you of the way that Paul instructs Timothy to share the gospel. Look back to verse 7 from last week. Look at what he said. For God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but a spirit of power. A lot of Christians stop there. We're going to be powerful, Christians. We're going to take this country by storm through the election. We're going to be powerful again. We're going to take our country back through the White House. We're going to be powerful. That's not what Paul's talking about. He says that the Holy Spirit gives us power. And look at the kind of power that he gives us. He gives us a spirit, not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. Do you see that? That's the reins, or that's, that's the road in which power goes down, and love and self-control. That's what power looks like in the Christian's life. And so it's always humility that leads us. It's not a demanding nature. It's a servant heart. Now we go on and we see that Paul is reminding Timothy, you're going to share in the suffering of Jesus, but that's a glorious thing because you're you're sharing in his suffering. And most of us don't realize that. Let Let me ask another hard question. What are some ways that we can share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God? And I say by the power of God because we'll probably never choose to do this in our flesh. But what are some ways that we can share in suffering for the gospel as Christians in Memphis, Tennessee today? Walk out, leave the situation. So we can share in suffering by, at times... Uh, being courageous to take a stand okay so to take a stand when it's needed how else okay yeah and who knows what's going to happen if we're hospitable and we let someone in our house have you ever let anyone in your house who stinks isn't it ironic how they find your favorite chair? <laughs> okay, just seeing everyone is being just humans. Yeah, get rid of some of the uh, ways in which we put up all kinds of protection that ultimately is keeping us from sharing the gospel with people. Anything else you think of? Ways in which we can share in the suffering of Jesus. yeah yeah so when we take a stand that's not um that's not popular, again, how about when we love our enemies? That's pretty tough to do. When we turn the other cheek, we pray for our enemies. Even tougher. Yeah, absolutely when we choose to be a servant, um, and we choose that regardless of what people's response is. Whether they spit on us, whether they're thankful or not in the moment. There's a lot of ways that we can share in suffering for the gospel. I think what's important is that we recognize that this is a tough calling. That's why we need the power of the gospel. And if you look at the flow of uh, Paul's letter, as he gives this exhortation to Timothy to share in the suffering um, of the testimony of Jesus, what he does is he instantly flows into a little uh, mini many diatribe that reminds us very much of Ephesians 2, reminding Timothy of the beauty of the gospel, of all that the gospel is. Reminding him of the power of the gospel. Look at verse 9. He said, "...who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began, and which now has been manifested through the appearing of our Savior." Christ Jesus. And underline this next statement. This this statement is an amazing statement. Jesus, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. Isn't that amazing? Abolished death, brought light and immortality to life through the gospel, for which I was appointed a preacher, apostle, teacher. This is why I suffer as I do. Paul's reminding Timothy there's no fear when we truly realize that death is dead, that the gospel shines light on what it means to really live, that we experience immortality that begins not on the day of our death, but that we experience immortality that begins on the day of our life as we come to know Jesus and we become members of his kingdom. As we walk in joy and peace, even as people spit upon us, even as people wag their finger at us, even as people say shameful things to us, we can experience joy as we walk in the power of the gospel through the Spirit. Now, he ends by saying, and here's where I want us to end today, this idea of being on guard. He ends by saying... But I am not ashamed for I know whom I have believed and I am convinced that he is able to guard until that day what's been entrusted to me. Follow the pattern of the sound words that you've heard from me in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. By the power, but by the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, guard the good deposit entrusted to you. Really interesting here. Paul says, follow the pattern of the sound words that you heard from me. That's an interesting phrase. Follow the pattern of the sound words. We could spend an entire sermon, probably should at some point, talking about what is that pattern, what are those sound words. I think it's most important in our day and time. We live in a day and time um, in which postmodernism and pluralism threaten us. Postmodernism, the idea that there's really, when it comes to religion, there's no real absolute truth. What's true for you might not be true for me in pluralism. Who says your God's better than my God? Who says that there's one God? And Paul is saying to Timothy, you hold on to the truths that are firsthand primary doctrines of the faith. Those doctrines that our faith stands upon, that Jesus is the one true God, that Jesus came and that he lived a perfect life that He died on our behalf, that He rose again from the grave. Those doctrines that make up Christianity, that we would hold on to Scripture and the authority of Scripture because without Scripture, all we have is ourselves and our brilliance. And we saw in the first part of the 20th century where our brilliance took the church as the church said, Scripture is not all true. And we began to believe whatever we wanted to believe. And others were called fundamentalists because they said, no, we're going to go back to the truths of the Bible that the church has stood on for the last 20 centuries. We're going to go back uh, to, the, to the theology of believing that grace alone by faith alone is all that, that we have to stand on alone. And so it's those primary teachings that Paul is saying we must guard. You can get on our website and you can see what we believe some of those primary teachings are. I encourage you to read through some of those doctrines. And if you have questions, ask us about them. Because we want our covenant partners to know those primary truths and be in agreement with them. Because they're what our faith stands on. And so he's warning Timothy, you hold to these patterns of Scripture But then he goes on, and and here's where I want to end. Finally, Paul calls Timothy to guard the good deposit entrusted to you. Guard the good deposit entrusted to you. Um, Ultimately, he's saying be on guard. Here's the meaning of, of guard. To be on duty, to protect, or defend something. And I started thinking about that, and I started thinking about what does it look like in our lives to be on guard? And I was thinking, do we have a military man that I could interview within our congregation who has stood guard you know, over something important? What does it look like to really be on guard? But then as I started thinking about it, I want you to help me. Uh, what are some things... In life, you don't have to be a part of the military in order to be on guard. What are some things that you think of in your life that you guard? Your children. Your children. What else? We guard our children. Our homes. Our, homes. our jobs. Our dogs. Our dogs. Our cars, jobs. our jobs, yeah, our money. <coughs> our money. We put it in the bank where people can't get to it, right? A safe. a safe, yeah, if you have a safe, you put your money in it. Don't tell anybody where it's at. Possessions, Possessions. Our, our lives, our lives. I don't know how to spell possessions. I think I got too many S's in that. (laughs) Our lives. Yeah, a lot of you have in your purse or pocket a taser, a blade, a gun. We're always aware of our surroundings, right? We live in Memphis. We guard our lives. Guard your mind. Yeah. Yeah, guard your mind. Guard our faith. And Johannes said beliefs. So you guys are on the same track. Faith, beliefs, your marriage. What else? Yeah, our sight and our hearing. I'm going deaf. And so I'm always like protecting my hearing because I want to save what's left. What else? Sometimes we guard our eyes from things we shouldn't see, right? We should our, hearts. our hearts. What else? We should guard our internet. Yeah, passwords. <laughs> pa- anything that has, that, that's what I realized, anything that has a lock on it, we guard, right? Uh, Our garage, our house, um, and anything that has a password on it, we guard. Okay, so we understand that there's all types of things that we guard in our lives. But I want you to help me with this. Because Paul tells Timothy something that's unique and interesting. He says to guard the good deposit that's been entrusted to you. Now, we looked at what that was last week. The deposit, I honestly think... Here's here's my intense theological definition of the deposit. I think it's the conglomeration (laughs) of the fact that Timothy uh, had relatives who knew Jesus, that he had a saving faith, that he's been called in the ministry and that he's been given good gifts. I think it was all of his life experience in coming to know Jesus and then leading and being ordained to lead the church at Ephesus. And that's the deposit that Paul is referring to. It's all those things. And as Paul says, guard the good deposit entrusted to you. How do you guard a gift like that? With help. Yeah, you do it in community with your, life. with your life. Listen, I think the kind of guarding that Paul is talking about looks very different than the guarding that we just described. One of my favorite basketball players, whether you like him or not, you know him, LeBron James. What does it look like? See, LeBron is so, so, uh, such a great athlete that he's either loved or hated. There's no in between, Right? What does it look like for LeBron James to guard the gifts that have been entrusted to him? He practices all the time. And he practices just about harder than anyone else who's on his team. He watches what he eats. He watches his health. He plays his heart out. And he plays. What would it look like if a basketball player said, I've got an amazing talent and ability and I am so good that I'm never going to play because if I play, I could get hurt. And so I'm going to guard my talent and my ability by working out all the time and really watching what I eat and practicing hard. But I'm never going to play because if I play, I might get injured. We'd say that's the silliest thing I've ever heard. Now, let me ask you a question. How are you guarding the gifts that have been entrusted to you? The elephant in the room is this. The majority of Christians in the world today never play the game. They eat really healthy. They practice all the time. but They never get in the game. Paul is saying guard the gift that's been entrusted to you. How do you guard a gift that's been entrusted? You live it out. You live it out. It goes back to the very beginning. We live out the gift that's been entrusted to us by not being ashamed of the testimony of our Lord. You say, how do you live out not being ashamed of the testimony of your Lord? You tell people about Him. You tell people about Him. Some of you are here today and the first step that you need to take is a step of repentance. Some of you are here today and, and you believe in a God. You say, I believe that there is a God. But you've never taken the step of repenting of your sins, of coming to a real awareness that you are not God of your life. And for some of you, the first step that you need to take is Just like Paul wrote in Romans 10, verse nine, he said, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you can be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. And there's some of you who have never repented of your sins. There's never been a moment in time in which you've moved from saying, I believe loosely that there is a God and, and bowing your knee in repenting of your sins and saying, I have gone my own way. I have been my own God. Jesus, I need your redemption. Jesus, I need forgiveness that can only come from you because of your work on the cross, your perfect life that was lived on my behalf. The fact that the Father raised you from the dead. Jesus, I need you to raise me from the dead. I need you to change my heart. I need you to change my life. I need your forgiveness. I need your cleansing. For some of you, that's the step that you need to take today. And the most important thing that you could do before you leave this place would be to talk to me, to talk to a friend who brought you here. If you have a missional community leader, to talk to them and say, I have come to realize that I believe in God, but I have never repented of my sins. Can you help me know what it means to repent of my sins? Some of you are here today and you're ashamed of Jesus because you've never gone public with him in believers' baptism. You're ashamed of him. It's the very first thing he calls us to do, it's the first step of obedience that he gives us. You cannot understand your identity as a missionary. You can't understand the fact that you're a gift that's been given to this world. You hold a precious gift in the gospel. And your commissioning takes place at your baptism. And some of you need to talk with one of our elders and say, I don't know when y'all are doing a baptism, but I need to be baptized. I need to stop being ashamed of Jesus. I'm going to invite my friends and say, I don't care who knows. I'm going public in my relationship with Jesus. Some of you are here today and for you to guard the gift that's been entrusted to you. For some of you, you need to just begin to rely on the Holy Spirit daily. You need to make it a normal rhythm of your life that every morning you wake up that you would say, Spirit, I need you. Spirit of living God, fall fresh on me. I can't live out and I can't live in the light of the gospel today without your presence. So Holy Spirit, would you open doors for me today that I would be courageous to step through? Holy Spirit, would you give me the power to share in the suffering of Jesus today? And you know what's crazy? Deuteronomy 38, 31, eight says, The Lord himself goes before you and will be with you. He will never leave you or forsake you. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. When you pray that kind of prayer and begin to live a rhythm in your life that says, I believe the Holy Spirit is at work. I believe he's going to use me today. I believe that I'll have the opportunity to stand with Jesus and to share a testimony I believe that through the power of God, I can be courageous and I won't be ashamed. You know what happens? It'll actually take place. The Holy Spirit will go before you and he'll give you opportunities. He'll open doors. He'll connect you with relationships with people who need to know the love of the Father. Who need to come to understand that God is for them and he's not against them. See, I love what we have together. I love the fact that we can come and that we can worship and that we can learn from one another. I was sitting back here earlier and we were singing, and I'm thankful that we have our kids in the room. I know sometimes it's tough. Parents, thanks for hanging in there. But our kids need to learn and grow in light of the gospel. They need to learn how to sing and worship. And I was blessed as I sat back because I watched Ben relate to his son. And his son was hurt or something was wrong, and I saw Ben take his face. And I saw him wipe away his tears. And I saw him get down and look him right in the eyes. I saw him be patient. I saw him be gentle. I saw him be humble. It brought tears to my eyes because it was like God was saying, that's a picture of my love for you. I'm your father. I love you. I'm gentle with you. I'm humble. And there's a whole world outside of this room that's dying. It's apart from the love of the father. They think that God's wrath is against them. They think that God is just waiting to throw lightning bolts down upon them. I met with a friend this week. He said, I don't go to church anymore. I'm the black sheep of my family. I said, Jonathan, welcome to the club of black sheeps. We all are. There's a world that is waiting to know the love of the Father. I want to challenge you don't be ashamed of the gospel. Make it a daily rhythm in your life that you would ask God to give you the power and the courage that through the Spirit of God that you could suffer well for the sake of His name. I want to pray that we'd be encouraged in that. Father, thank you that you give us courage. Father, thank you that you move in power. You raise Jesus from the dead. And you've told us that the same power that was at work in raising Jesus from the dead is at work in us. Acts 1-8, you said, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. You'll be my witnesses, both in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the uttermost parts of the earth. Father, would you help us to understand the power that you offer through the gospel? Jesus, I pray, Did in the regular rhythms of our life, the stuff that seems ordinary, Jesus, I pray that you would allow us to lean into you and to follow you in order that we would be good witnesses and good missionaries and that we could show the world your love, a love that's changed our lives by the grace and the mercy of Jesus. May we be encouraged this day to follow you, to hear your voice, to step forward. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.